It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Brandon, you used to play hockey, right? For a time, about 20 years, but yeah, for a time. All right, well, the Hurricanes might need you to go lace them up out on this power play because it's getting ridiculous. I might actually be better than them on the power play. I'm not going What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another episode of the Track and the Storm podcast. My name is Brandon. That is Matt. Alex is still out as he recovers from his pregnancy with a kidney stone. Well, he also <laughs> doesn't have any power because Ottawa just oh, got that's hit right, by that's right. some crazy tornadoes. Vicious wasteland up there right now. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just us two tonight. I forgot about the power part, but, yeah, it's uh, pretty bad. So, we are in the midst of what has become a very frustrating series. We're obviously going to talk lots about that. There's a whole lot to discuss that we probably don't even have the time to get into tonight. Um, We do have Matt's interview with Darren York, the Carolina Hurricanes Assistant General Manager. Uh, You know, he mostly focuses on the amateur side of things. So, of course, there's lots of prospect talk. Matt did a very good job with that. So, we will get into that shortly. As a matter of fact, no, we're going to start with that right now. So uh, we'll go ahead and play that clip for you. And after that, we'll get into some playoff talks. So stick around and enjoy this interview with Darren York. And folks, we're here with Carolina Hurricanes Assistant General Manager Darren York. Darren, how are you doing today? Doing well. Thanks for having me. We're just going to get right into it here. So first... Um, You've risen up through the Carolina Hurricanes organization over the years. Could you just kind of talk about where you started at and how that's led to where you're at today? Yeah, I guess it's been uh, quite a wild ride. Um, I guess for looking into my 13th season with the Hurricanes, when I was when I was hired, it really wasn't in terms of any evaluation or role. It was really to um, to supplement our, our amateur staff with with video. Um, at that time when you're trying to accumulate video to, to supplement your staff, there's, it's all manual process. Um, we were actually talking about this earlier, uh, maybe a couple of months ago that it's, it's really a barrier of entry for, for other young individuals, um, which is kind of sad uh, to, to try to help people the, the same way that I was helped. But um, at that point I had to cut up junior games, AHL games and break them down into shifts. So it allowed me to watch, everything um i watched i've probably never watched as much video as i did in those in those early years because that was my only responsibility was to to cut video in and store it into our um our database 
And so that's obviously led to you being the assistant general manager uh, in charge of the entire amateur side of things now. So that's obviously a pretty cool jump. Yeah, it it obviously it wasn't that linear. Um, in my first year, we were we were a smaller staff, um, and because I was watching so much video, I was then you know fitting in our amateur meetings, sitting in our pro meetings. And really just soaking up as much information, trying to learn as, as much as I can. And you, within my first year, you know, Marshall Johnson was our director of pro scouting and sitting in the meetings, seeing how he was doing some things. I, I asked him if he wanted me to, to help out. So I think in my second, after my first full season, I was, you know, assisting Marshall with some of the coordinating on the pro side of things and just trying to, to lend a hand in, in any way I could. Um, and then I think the the following year I did a little bit more on the on the amateur side of things. And then every year it, it seemed like I was just getting more and more responsibilities thrown at me, which was which was great. Um, in that second full season, uh, I, I spent a lot of time with with Rod um, because that was his his first full year um, from retirement, and we watched a ton of video together. And there's probably no other better person just to to learn um from him and, and soak up as as much as i could i'd like to to think i taught him a couple of things along the way but he he tends to to joke now that i i've learned anything and everything from him and solely him so it's uh it's a good little banter back and forth these days yeah and i mean like you said no other better person to learn from especially now that he's you know still with the organization and such a big part of the team i mean We've said a couple times, you know, Rod Brindamore is the Carolina Hurricanes. Yeah, his um, his footprints or handprints are on everything about this organization from the time he was was got here to to now. Um, even players that he's played with that are are among the league still learn from from how he did things and what it takes to be a professional. And you sort of were we're lucky as an organization we're lucky as a community that really he is, you know, put, put this, um, put Raleigh as his, as his home. Absolutely. So we're going to move towards, you know, the, the scouting and development side of things. So obviously, you know, as somebody who's led the hurricanes at the draft table for a number of years now, you obviously know that scouting players at a young age, there's a lot of intricacies and nuance to it. And you're more projecting what a player can become rather than what a player is now, in a sense. So how do you go about projecting players? And is there anything that you look for? Yeah, I, I think the the first thing is trying to to take each viewing as, you know, another snapshot of information. There's you know, you think back to how you were at 16 years old to how you were at 17 to how you are, you know, at, at 20, 23, 24, 25. And there's so much growth that can happen, not necessarily just physically, but mentally as well and, and being a little bit more mature. So we're trying to to take a look at everything, really. And, you know, from the on-ice product to how much they're growing from, you know, 16 to 17 or game to game and looking at what else could could be left so if a if a player peaks you know physically at at 17 and they're maybe they're just big and strong and they're taking advantage of of smaller players when they graduate to 
maybe they're graduating to the NCAA, maybe it's to the AHL, maybe it's to the NHL. Some of that strength may not be as advantageous than, than it is when you're playing against kids. So you're, you're trying to sort of get a sense of where their, their peak is going to be at, you know, when they're able to, to play in the, in the NHL. Um, I, I think, well, there really hasn't been much surprise. I've said this in, in post-draft meetings or post-draft interviews in terms of hockey sense. I think this really applies to, to anything in life. The faster that you're able to process information, the quicker that you're able to adapt, you're going to be able to react at the next level quicker. So whether it's in a, a marketing job, if you're able to, to take one task and, and quickly process it and, and go on to the next one, you're going to be able to, to do a little bit better. And I don't think sports are any different from that standpoint. So a, a player that is able to, to process information at junior level is going to have an easier time processing it at, at the next level versus someone who can't necessarily see and react to things as quickly. It seems like it's one of those traits in a player that's not necessarily as teachable as something, say, you know, like skating or uh, even physicality. Yeah, like I, I think really there, the, no player is obviously going to have a is going to be a finished product when they're when they're eighteen years old. We have sort of a, or we have a development process in in, in place to try to to work on some development points. We believe that you know being able to process information if you're having a tough time in, in junior when the pace and all due respect to, to the junior hockey system, it's nowhere near as fast as it is in the NHL. So if you're having issues processing speed, um, then it, it's probably going to be very challenging to, to do it at the next level. Uh, skating, if there's not necessarily, you know, technical issues, you know, just improve, Strength is, should allow someone to to push a little bit faster or have a little bit more power. That should happen just naturally with you know with increased strength. Um, I think there are times when individuals, assuming they're competitive, um, when they get pushed into a, a higher tempo or a more competitive group, they'll they'll assimilate. Um, I think we've probably all seen the the kids that necessarily or may disrupt the classroom because they're bored. Um, they're not necessarily poor students; they just aren't challenged. And we've all seen those 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 athletes, regardless of sports, where they need to be pushed a little bit more because of their their situation. So I, I think there are areas where we can help these players as they as they graduate. Totally. So I think we've kind of answered, you know, what sort of things the Hurricanes look for when it comes to prospects. But, you know, how important is it to have players that can play at such a high pace, given how the Hurricanes run sort of like a high octane uh, system? Yeah, pace of play in in the NHL is is incredibly high. Like it's it's how we play in Chicago. It's how we play in in Carolina. Um, It's not necessarily how these players may play in their junior clubs in their European teams or wherever they're currently at today. So we have to look at the, the traits that they currently have and, and ask ourselves questions, what happens when they move on. Um, the important thing is there are other ways to, 
to play with a high tempo that's not necessarily meaning speed. Um, if they're not necessarily the, the fastest skater, they're going to have to be smarter so they can anticipate and react at a higher level. And they're going to have to be incredibly competitive to stay on the puck and, and to move their feet as, as fast as they can, even though they may not be generating as, as much um, speed from a skating standpoint. But the way we like to play is, is all out. Um, our NHL team and AHL team is, generates a lot of offense based off of the four check and we try to turn defense into offense by ambushing and playing as fast as possible. I was going to say, you saw that this weekend with the wolves, you know, most of their offense and most of their goals came off of plays where the defense took the puck. All of a sudden you've got a stretch pass and boom, usually leads to a goal off the rush. Yeah. Every, every team, um, AHL, NHL is tries to emulate the system. Um, I, I think it's easier said than, than done at times. And, Ryan is is doing an, an unbelievable job of the rest of the staff with with Patty and, and and Bob as well that we play the same way when when Chicago is rolling that four check is is about as suffocating in the AHL as it, it can possibly get um, it, same thing from a defensive standpoint they're gapped up they're taking away as, as much uh, time and space as possible and again, you you want you want to see these things. You want the the guys to when they get a call up that they're not having to to really think on a, a different system. They just want to be able to read and react and play. But it's from an organizational standpoint, it's so exciting to see the the AHL and NHL play the the same way and, and have success um, because that's really how you you get success from an organizational standpoint year in and year out is is the drafting developing and and playing extremely well absolutely so i guess that kind of speaking of you know once you draft the players um what role does the team take in a player's development at the draft like as soon as the player is drafted sort of what goes into the player's development from that standpoint yeah it, it some of that is dependent on where the where the player's at um from a from an amateur club and really what they they needed to to work on I, I think they they won really from a developmental process is as soon as the the day after the draft um now that we're we're back to you know normal years of covid sort of threw a wrench in a, in a little bit of this from a development standpoint is we'll get a development camp two days after the draft so our development coaches have a little bit of an idea of seeing some of these players. Um, maybe they've watched them a little bit leading up to development camp. Um, but once we, we get them in Raleigh, we put them through a bunch of different tests that we can get some, some data on them from a workout perspective, some on ice tests uh, and try to marry the, the two together. And then from a, on ice thing, we can put them through different exercises to get a little bit of a better sense of where they may need to, to improve upon. So when they leave development camp, we'll give them a plan from off ice perspective. And then as they start going through the, their seasons, our development coaches will be more in touch with them, watching their games, getting a little bit better feel for exactly how they play and what they need to, to work on. And then we can, continue to sort of update that plan as we get more information. Okay. And I mean, the only real thing we've seen, you know, is sort of little hints as to the role 
the team can take. Um, I know from, from, from interviews in the past with some of our Russian guys, it's, you know, Tim, well, at the time it was Tim Gleason. Now it's, I believe, Peter Harold would, you know, call the players after, you know, maybe every game or every other game or so, and just kind of get with them on how that works. And so it seems like the team at least has an active hand and it's not, it depends obviously, like you said, on the team and the level, but it seems like the team really wants to keep the players involved. For sure. Even though a player may necessarily not be, you know, whether in Raleigh or in Chicago, we need to be able to, to make them feel included. And even if you did that, that'd be fine. Um, However, we need to be able to, to work with these players and get them an understanding of what it takes to, to make that jump. The challenge sometimes is whether you don't necessarily have their, your hands on them and you're, if we want them to play an up-tempo game in Carolina and their coaches are, are playing a different system, we can't tell the player to, you know, do it this way because it's the, the hurricane way. They got to abide by their, their coach's system. So there are other opportunities for us to, you know, and Sergey, Peter, and and Jason Masati work with the players on other aspects of their game. I think everyone may may be sort of sick of Zoom meetings uh, from their own job, but it's so invaluable when you have. I think we have 28 players necessarily off um, on a reserve list outside of or all around the world. And being able to go over game video with them on Zoom and get an understanding of what we see, get a feeling for what they are seeing in those situations and teach, these technologies have really changed what we're able to do from a developing standpoint. And it, it really allows us to, to get more face-to-face meetings with these athletes, build relationships, and, and try to get them to where or try to get them to achieve their goals as, as quick as possible. Yeah. It's, it's amazing how easy it is now to have those face-to-face meetings. And I was actually about to ask, you know, how important have guys like Sergey, Peter and Jason Mazzotti, ha- have they been for player development? For They're, they're huge. And they, they're the ones really that it's our, our, as soon as we draft the players, their first contact within the, within the organization, um, they're sort of father figures in the sense of they get to, when they build these relationships with the athletes, their understanding of the highs and lows that, that come with trying to become a professional athlete. It's, it's not always rosy. There, there's some ups and downs along the way. Um, there's some easy conversations when things are going well. There's also some hard conversations that you need to have to help under, to help the athlete understand of what it takes to to make that jump. So they all have different personalities with these with these players, but the the most important thing is they they care so much about these players. They they want them to to get to the NHL. They've all had different roads um, from their own professional careers and I think that allows the the athletes to for them to sort of connect with the athletes as well as, as they can, because they, they've all experienced different things. You know, Sergei Samsonov has seen everything when it comes from leaving a, a foreign country to, to come into the U S at such a young age and going through those experiences um, and being able to relate to 
you know, when we brought Kachikov over helps. Um, so it really allows, you know, Sergey to, to connect with some of these European players at a, as a different level than, you know, than I could, because I didn't have that same experience that, that Sergey did. Absolutely. And I mean, he, he even has, uh, I mean, he played in the Stanley cup final against the hurricanes and that experience is invaluable as well. For sure. It, I think the, aside from their, you know, incredible hockey talents, their ability to communicate with the athletes and build these relationships and get an understanding of what they're seeing on the ice to, to what the athlete is, is uh, seeing and what they're going through and build that relationship to get an understanding of what the player needs to, to work on to achieve that goal. All, all three of these guys do a, do a tremendous job. So we'll shift more towards the the current prospects in the system and some guys that will be joining the Wolves either next season or that have already joined. Um, first, I do want to talk about uh, Peter Kachikov because I feel like, you know, he, he made the jump to North America. And then as soon as he finally settles in the AHL, he's getting called up to play NHL games. So can you talk about kind of what you've seen from him and what the future holds? Yeah, it, Peter sort of benefited. We sort of benefited from a little bit of a of a COVID pause in the KHL. Um, when we signed Peter, we we loaned him to the KHL, and anticipating that it was going to be the entire year um, because of the the COVID break and the Olympic break, it it shortened his season, and we were able to take advantage of that and really get almost a half year's worth of information that we wouldn't have had um so him coming into to chicago and going on an incredible run um getting comfortable in north america getting comfortable to the you know i guess when you say north america both on and off the ice uh we've we've been working with or he's been working on his his english for the for the last year and a half um and he's able to engage with his with his teammates he's able to to have conversations with um, with with Muzz and now with with Paul to to learn a little bit of the things that he needs to to work on, um, and from an on ice perspective, I, I think the the fans have been able to see how explosive, how athletic he is, and we think that because of the this time here, that it's really going to speed up his development because now he's playing in, in North America this time when, whereas we didn't anticipate him playing in North America really until the start of, of next season. And the Canes obviously have signed a lot of uh, forwards to come into the system next year. I mean, the ones I can think of off the top of my head are Noel Gunler, Alexander Passion, uh, Vili Koivinen. You also had Vasily Ponomaryov sign after the draft last year. And so what does adding these players to the system mean for the future yeah i think so noel and vasily um are, are both in chicago right now and in same thing like it's noel we'll start with him played uh, playing in the shl has got a little bit more comfort playing with men but it's a it's a different game and with him getting an opportunity to to play a little bit before the playoffs start and get used to the ahl pace get used to the get used to our system um, because it is much different than than how he played in in Sweden but because he can you know smart player skates well is is competitive um, on top of the the offensive instincts 
getting this opportunity to have an understanding of how high the level is will allow him to, when the season is over, know where that baseline is. So he will be a little bit further ahead if he didn't get this opportunity because now he knows. It also, you know, it also allows us to get a better, build a better relationship with with Noel. He's able to now be around all of the the AHL players, um, get an understanding of just how hard it is to to get to the NHL, and he should be a little bit further ahead come um, come rookie tournament and, and come NHL training camp. And if he didn't have this opportunity uh, with Vasily, his year was sort of uh, played on a bunch of different teams. And now he gets a little bit of consistency of playing for, for one team, one system. And some of the same things that, that Noel is able to, to go through, he's able to go through. And this should just put him further ahead and get him a little bit closer to the NHL um, than if he didn't have this opportunity to, to play half a season. Because I really think from the, the athlete standpoint is understanding where that bar is and it's not necessarily that they're always going to climb over the bar um, each game, but they have to have an understanding of just how high the level is. So they have a little bit of a goal to to push through and to strive for um, in the summer as we get closer to uh, training camp next season. And um, obviously we know that Alexander Passion wasn't able to um, join the team in Chicago just yet, but we're all looking forward to seeing him play as well, just because of the offensive upside that he can bring. Yeah. So uh, Alex and, and Vasily um, know one another uh, pretty well from their, from their international t- uh, time together at the, at the Halenka during their, their draft years and two totally different players, but um, with, with passion, he, he plays at such a high tempo. It's unfortunate from, from his standpoint that he didn't get the, the KHL time that he probably felt like he, he deserved. Um, but seeing him throughout this, this past season and, and watching him at the U 20 tournament in November uh, because of how well he played there, he probably forced the the coach's hands to, to name him to the, to the world junior team. Uh, he just plays with a lot of speed, incredibly gifted offensive mind and, in seeing and anticipating some of the holes and reading spacing um, and has really added layers to his game. And you know, Sergey and, and Alex have, have talked quite a bit of the next transition to his game and coming over to North America and getting an understanding of reading spacing on a little bit of a smaller ice um, and understanding where uh, to, to make some of those moves on understanding on what you need to do to, to get the puck back and play on the sort of the, the fun side of the, of the rink and the offensive zone, but because of his skating and his hockey sense and his compete, it, it should be a, a pretty smooth transition for him. The next little topic here is just going into the draft and the challenges of the past couple of years, because obviously last year's draft, some leagues didn't play, some leagues played very shortened seasons and, with this upcoming draft, you're missing or you're getting players who have missed a good chunk of their development as well. So kind of what are the challenges with evaluating players who may be a year behind in a sense? Yeah, I don't, I can't really sit here and and say that the pandemic is, is making things more challenging because I feel like that's 
excuses. Um, if we ended last year's draft and said, you know what, it was too hard to to find players. It was too hard to to have meetings. I don't think the the fans would would accept that, and they they really shouldn't. We had meetings going back to March of I guess 2020, and what it meant to deal with a, a disruption. That's what we we talked about. It. It was more a, a disruption. I think when you look at huge businesses' success, you look at companies or products that disrupted the market and maybe you thought it was weird at first and now it's part of your everyday life so we went in with the mindset that you didn't have to watch video because that was the only thing you had to do is you got the opportunity to watch video so we had this opportunity to to evaluate players different and because of that i i think our department is built for more success. It allowed us to look at our process in a way that we never would have had the opportunity if it wasn't for this huge disruption. Every year, I like to, to think I do an okay job of, of trying to find more efficient ways to, to do things, but I never would have been able to look at this process the same way if it wasn't for a disruption. And because of that, again, I, I think we're we were able to find inefficiencies in how we were doing things to make us better moving forward. Um, so I don't want to say it was it was more challenging. I want to say that we we got opportunities to to do things differently, and I think it's going to allow us to to be a lot better because of it. Now, with players that have have missed some time. It, it really happens every draft. Uh, there are times when athletes get, get hurt and you only have maybe the first 10 games or maybe they come back and they play, um, you know, 15, 20 games, whatever it, it may be, and you, you deal with it. At that scale, it, it's a little unique. However, there are athletes in every league this year that have put up some, some pretty impressive numbers and, and missed an entire year. Now, we can't say that it didn't impact them and impacted somebody else. You just, you got to deal with it. Um, there are times when an underage year didn't go as well. And then all of a sudden they, they explode in their, in their draft year. Um, and you just sort of take that information. I, I think the most important thing, irrespective of a, a pandemic year or a non-pandemic year is that every single time you watch the player, you just get another little piece of information to, to help make your decision. It's just adding one game after another. And if you could have amnesia after every single game, that'd be perfect because that way each game is only means one more. Um, you get one little bit of new information to try to help make that, um, that projection. And I guess that makes sense, too, because, I mean, you look back at the 2019 draft, we drafted Jamison Reese, who missed close to half the season, I want to say, due to injuries or suspensions. So that makes yeah, sense. Jam yeah, Jamison had some some bad luck in his, his draft year. There are, there are other examples of, of athletes getting drafted incredibly high um, despite missing time. Uh, this, is, this has gone across all sports like this isn't unique to to hockey either where you draft a player that maybe didn't have a as large a sample size as somebody else um but you, you sort of put that 
into your process in terms of your evaluating. At the end of the day, you, you never have all the information. You're trying to make a, a projection of, you know, of an athlete that's 17, 18, maybe 19 years old. Um, even if you watched every single game throughout their entire live up to that point, you still don't have a complete set of information. So you're making a projection either way. Right. So that makes sense. And it's, you know, it's good that you have so many opportunities now, and I'm sure you guys were all raring to get back into the rinks after just staying at home all time. Yeah. Like it's, it's obviously, I don't think anyone would want to go back to, to the pandemic and, and being shut down of all the, the opportunities that now things are, are opening back up. However, there are things that we've included in our process because of it. And I stress, and we have these conversations, if we went back to doing things exactly like we did um, pre-COVID, we wasted a crisis. And the opportunity to, to learn and grow was something that we need to sort of be, be thankful for because it, it allowed us to look at a problem much differently and we're better because of it. Well, so the last thing I have for you here is, you know, we've obviously talked about the system and the team from every level, but I guess what we want to know is if there's anybody that we haven't really talked about today that you feel like is either under the radar or maybe deserving of a little more recognition than we've given them. Yeah, that's, uh, I know we, we've really touched on, I know you brought up Koivinen, um, and I didn't really talk about him because of, you know, he'll be headed back to, to Finland next season. I, I think he's a, he's a player that has, has really had success at every single level. Um, going back to his U16 years in, in Kirpa to, to his draft year and, and putting up some pretty impressive numbers at the, the, the junior legal level to this past season playing, you know, his first first, first full season um, at the legal level. You, you talk about an athlete that just understands the game at, at such a high level and how smart he is. And he may be able to keep up to the pace um, despite necessary, despite being maybe not the, the fastest skater, but because he's so smart and so competitive, it, it really doesn't hurt him. So I, I think, you know, that's a name that you, you touched on, but I didn't quite get the opportunity to, to, um, to expand on, on his season. Well, Darren, I appreciate it. Uh, appreciate you coming on the podcast. I know folks are really going to enjoy this. Um, best of luck in development camp in the draft. And uh, yeah, thanks again. Thanks for having me. Congratulations on uh, your, your wedding and hopefully have a great time on your honeymoon. Thank you. And before we continue with the second half of the podcast, Tracking the Storm is a proud part of the Hockey Podcast Network. So let's take a minute and get a quick word from DraftKings. Hockey fans, the pursuit of the Stanley Cup is on and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has an unbelievable offer for the most exciting playoffs in sports. New customers can bet just $5 on any team to win and get $100 in free bets no matter what, win or lose. Looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the playoffs? With DraftKings Same Game Parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, how many goals will be scored, and more. It's your shot at an even bigger payout. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. And best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN. 
Bet $5 on any NHL team and get $100 in free bets no matter what. That's code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See the show notes of wherever you get our podcast for important details. And we're back. back. <laughs> there we go. We had, to, we had to do a take two of that uh, that you guys will never hear because <laughs> Brandon funny. edits it. They wouldn't have known that unless you yeah, said well. so. It's nice to let the listeners know that we are humans behind the, the audio. If they've been you know? listening to me on 99 on the fan. They know that anyway. <laughs> no, I really only had one screw up on there. Uh, it was when we were out at the Canes um, watch party at the ale house and the, the Panthers uh, lightning game three was on. So, and there was just like a carnival out there. So there's a lot going on. My nephews were there. My mom was there. My sister was there and there's just a lot going on. And I just kind of, I got distracted for a minute and kind of lost my train of thought. So sometimes I do this thing where like I'm explaining something and I'll kind of go off on a tangent about like a key minor point within that point. And then I'll forget where the original thought was going. And obviously, you know, when we're doing it on the podcast, it's not that big of a deal, right? We can edit it, figure it out or just cut it. When you're doing it on live radio, that's not an option. So I did have one little slip up like that, but I actually recovered relatively well from it. And other than that, I feel like I've done pretty well. It's been a ton of fun. So I'm super glad I've gotten the opportunity to do that. But anyway, obviously we are in the midst of, like I said earlier, a pretty frustrating series at this point. Uh, obviously things got off to a pretty good start. The Hurricanes stole a game they shouldn't have in game one. And they earned a win in game two. I think we can agree on that. They, they played about as flawless of a, as a, of a defensive game of hockey as you'll see. But the kind of underlying storyline and all that is that's really reared its head since we've gotten to New York. The offense is just not there. I mean, it's, it's, it's been terrible. <laughs> There's really no other way to put it. And we saw in the power play, obviously, we're going to talk about that. It's, it's just – that's only part of it. Because even at five on five, where this team normally feasts, they're not doing anything. They're not scoring. The depth scoring is dried up. All the scoring's dried up. Sebastian Ajo, Terabinen connected late for one if the game was already decided. But other than that, they have not been able to solve Shesterkin. And that's another layer to this. Shesterkin has had some troubles in the latter portion of the season, as well as in the first round series against the Pittsburgh Penguins, where he kind of got lit up. And now that's a thing of the past. He's feeling it. And now the Hurricanes are going to be going deep into a series against a goalie that even if you do finally find your A game, you might not beat. So here's a question for you. Have the Hurricanes really challenged Shesterkin in this series? It doesn't matter. Goaltending is such a mental game. Sure, but I'm I'm saying like... Early save on Brett Pesci last night. That's true. got that shot early off. He should have got that shot off quicker. He oh, absolutely. He release it, and he gave Shesterkin time to get over. Martin Natchez had an empty freaking net on a, you know, Shesterkin failed to track that puck. He was really Natchez, I, I want to talk about. Shot, shot it back across the crease. I want to talk about Natchez here in a bit. But, um, see, my thing is, I, I don't think the Hurricanes have challenged Shesterkin nearly enough. I'm not saying it's like that he's not going to be dialed in because of that. I'm more saying, like, have the cur- Hurricanes really made his job difficult? No, they haven't. They've That's scored. The yeah, they've scored how many goals this series? Four? Is it? Yeah, I think it's four. They scored two in game one. 
Well, so five. So two in game one. Five. Game you're right. You're right. Two and one in game four. Yeah. So game three. So averaging just over one goal a game is not going to cut it. And so here's the thing, the power play. Yes, it's an issue. And like people are calling it the penalty play now. And it's hilarious because it's true, but the hurricanes have not been good at even strength this series either. They've, they haven't been good period just at all. All four games have been awful efforts for this team. In game one, I was like, okay, they stole game one. They can do it. Game two, they, I mean, I'll be honest. Ronta's been outstanding this series. If it wasn't, excuse me, if it wasn't for Auntie Ronta, we would be swept by the New York Rangers and we would be watching Tampa and the Rangers play. Dude, and that's the thing is they're getting their ass handed to them by a team they're better than. The Rangers aren't that good. That's the thing so, that pisses me off. They're pretty. They're not bad by any means. They're a good team. But you have to figure out how do you fail to get up at this juncture of the season? Like the matchups aren't the problem either. The real problem is that the Carolina Hurricanes right now have two power forwards, and both of them play on the same line. You've got being the power forward he needs. Svechnikov. Somebody pointed this out. It may have been you, but I'm not sure. I, I was kind of like scrolling mindlessly through Twitter last night. Svech has not looked the same since that Lindholm hit. He's been a shell of himself. And he, he said he felt bad post game. Do you think that like got in his head a little? I mean, he, he's a nice enough guy where, I mean, maybe, but like the problem is like he's not creating any space. Granted, any line with Martin Natchez on it right now is not going to be doing well. Again, I want to I want to talk table that for later. But so we've got Svetch, who's not playing like himself. Trocek is not a true power forward, in my opinion. Um, you've got Aho, right? You've got Aho, Teravainen, and Jarvis on the same line, meaning that unless they're up against like one of the worst lines. They're not going to be able to do anything against the top players for the Rangers because all of the Rangers forwards are big. I can't think of a single forward they have that's not like big and physical and that can take up space. You have to be able to create that space for yourself, yes, but it's much harder to do when you're playing against these teams. So there's a big reason why we haven't really heard much other than in game one and then the penalty kill in game two from Sebastian Ajo. So then your fourth line is your fourth line and they're going to occasionally get the tough matchups and occasionally just get matched up against the fourth line. I just do not understand why the hurricanes are. Well, I do kind of understand because they're just not able to create the space they need to work. This team isn't a team that's going to like, wow you with their offensive skill right or like the like the flashiness and they're not an overly flashy team right and so they don't have any true snipers in my opinion nope they've got guys that can finish Seth Jarvis is the most natural finisher on the team and Rod Brendamore said yesterday a 20 year old can't be your best player at this time of the year Seth Jarvis has been the best player in the playoffs period for the Hurricanes absolutely in my opinion and that can't like 
as good as he's been, a 20-year-old, to his point, if you're going to win a Stanley Cup. A 20-year-old rookie, yeah. Like, if he if he was in, like, his second NHL season after having been in the playoffs before, I'd be like, well, at least he has, like, the experience, you know? Right. But, no, this is a rookie who this is his first time playing in the NHL in the playoffs. And then you go and the power play is – exclusively run like it does the puck does not go below the circles unless a shot is being taken that somehow misses a shin pad you've got tony d'angelo just firing shot after shot into shin pads from the point you've got svechnikov winding up and firing it into shin pads from the top of the circles and you've got either taravine or ajo on the other side depending on if rod wants to really mix it up shooting it into shin pads or passing it back to the other players so they can shoot it into shin pads. The Carolina Hurricanes could put any warm body in the other two spots on the power play because those two players literally do not matter with the way they're running the power play right now. (laughs) It's absurd. It, it, It is absurd. I have never seen a power play as stagnant as the Hurricanes I've never seen a power play dry up when it matters the most as the Carolina Hurricanes power play has under Rod Brendamore. Not saying it's Rod's fault, but clearly it's got to be a systems thing because you have so many talented scorers. Do you need a heavy player? Do you need somebody who can be a net front presence? Because you've got Nino. It's more than that because that's not like something Trocek really struggles with. It's just... They stand in one place. They don't. They don't move themselves, and they move the puck too slowly. I watched the Rangers play last night on the power play, and you take a look at their goals. Guys off the puck are constantly moving. It's constantly simple. Yes, and there's the cross seam passes that the Canes. That's Sebastian created Aho. by guys actually moving, dude. It, yes, I, I, I'm sorry. Yes, I'm trying. Sebastian Aho and Tavo Teravainen. They're both excellent players at moving the puck and getting those cross seam passes for whatever reason, nobody's moving right now. So they can't do it. Nothing is happening. Like you have to move your feet and the canes again are just standing there. It's like how the power play was no joke. When Rod was the assistant coach standing there, and we used to make a joke like on Kane's Twitter, if you remember, like people joking, like Rod was yelling at the power play, being like, now you have your positions and I swear to God, if you move more than two feet. <laughs> but that's, that's how it is. You look at the Rangers and they're constantly cycling the puck. They're working below the goal line to keep the lanes moving and constantly make the defense work. Even when the hur- Hurricanes were able to kill a penalty, those players left the ice exhausted. You had them on the ice for nearly the full two minutes on a power play. And you know what? On a penalty this, kill. That is leads to a point I made on the aftermath just last night. Dennis Cox, who, you know, he's the host. He literally said, like, even though they didn't score, that was the turning point in the game. Absolutely, it was. Terribly. And that's my problem with the Hurricanes right now. Their power play doesn't create offense it doesn't create momentum it's 
absolutely demoralized. I was going to say, if anything, it kills momentum. And I think exactly. now it's fully in the team's head. Your power play doesn't have to score at 40% clip. It doesn't have to do anything, really. You just want it to score one. He's that pathetic. Yeah. What, what I think, if the Hurricanes were able to get one, just one power play goal in game five, I think, I, I would like to hope that there, there can be some legit change, you know? It's just you look at the way the that Rangers power play was in game four and you have to sit there and think like, man, that's what it looks like to take the momentum in a game. Because the Canes, like you said, were dominant before then. They were getting chances. They were all over the puck. And it was as soon as that power play ended, it was or as soon as that power play happened, it was all Rangers after that. They never looked back and they never allowed the Canes to take momentum again. So, Brandon, here's my here's the the next thing I want to talk about. I brought this up with you guys either yesterday or a couple days ago. I can't remember at this point. But what are the chances that Martin Natchez is back with the Carolina Hurricanes next year? He's a pending RFA due for a, well, allegedly due for a pay raise, given the fact that he's coming off of his entry level deal. <sighs> Like when this season is all said and done, whatever game the Canes get eliminated, whether it's in this series, whether it's in the next, whether it's in the cup final, have we, will we have seen Martin Natchez's last game as a Carolina hurricane? I think so. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think they are starting to see the Rangers aren't some highly physical team. They have guys that can do that, but they're not some team that's like just going to bully the Hurricanes into, or anybody into submission. And they've done that to the Hurricanes. And, and maybe not like bully, but they've laid uh, all the They kind of have. Bullied. Yeah, they kind of have. And they, they've laid all the big hits in the series. They've won every board battle. I mean, every freaking battle. In front of the net, the Hurricanes are getting cleared out. And, and you know, that goes back to what we were talking about earlier. The Hurricanes have made Shesterka's job too easy they can't win net front battles against guys like Truba and Keandre Miller, even Adam Fox and Ryan Lindgren are big league. And I mean, it's kind of embarrassing, but anyway, they're getting cleared from the front of the net. And I mean, <laughs> that's, that's the story on why it's just Sterkins had such an easy job. And I think you look at guys like Natchez, who is on an expiring contract and you say, we can use this money to get somebody that fits the style of play that's going to get us over the hump in the playoffs because Natchez, he ain't it. He's been a non-factor for, I'd say, the vast majority of this season. Yeah. That may sound harsh. I'd agree. But, so here, let me pull up his page real quick just to kind of give some context. So, Natchez this season finished ninth on the team in scoring with 40 points in 78 games. That's not awful. But then you consider the fact that he was on a 64-point pace last year. And at times this season, you couldn't tell he was on the ice or he's constantly turning the puck over. I feel that in these playoffs, he has done next to nothing. And it's so frustrating because you see the individual skill, but I 
don't know why he just cannot utilize his teammates right now. I don't know why. It's in his head. Like that's 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 the only answer I can come up with. Is he's just and he's not going to be like an overly physical player. Like I think that's expecting him to be a player that he's not. If that makes any sense. Right. But you at least want to see something from him. Yeah. And you're not getting that right now. And I think with the Hurricanes, you can get Natchez's, you can get something for Natchez's rights and Absolutely. use that use that money on a player that can make a difference in the playoffs. And I'm not I'm not sitting here saying let's trade Natchez. I'm just saying I think it's an avenue the Canes explore because we're it's very clear and we're seeing that he is not able to create space for himself in the playoffs he's not able to create space for his line mates i would argue that the canes second line at times especially the svechnikov trocek nhs line has been the canes worst line in any game they've appeared in yeah so i just i don't know where you go from here with with nhs i'm It'll be a fascinating thing to track. That's that's yeah. Is he the is he the whipping boy? It's very possible because I know he's not the only player that's doing something wrong. Obviously, sure. Sveshnikov hasn't. Aho's been okay, but he needs to be great if this team's going to win a Stanley Cup. Yeah, defense has had their moments. I think D'Angelo stunk this series. I think he's been bad most of the playoffs, in my opinion. Uh, I thought he was pretty good in the first round. I thought his defense was actually like. He was okay in the games we played at home, but then as soon as the series shifted to Boston. Well, who can you not say that about? Yeah, but at the same time, you would at least expect consistency from a guy playing on your top pair. Aho had zero points in Boston. Oh, that's true. I think he he might also have zero points in New York. I'm pretty sure. He had had the assist last night, but. Oh, he did. That's right. You're right. Uh, yeah. No, I mean the fact. The fact of the matter is, like, and this is going to be shouted from the rooftops until the end of time. But the Carolina Hurricanes are 0 for five on the road this this playoffs. It is. Whoever wins tomorrow wins the series. Yes, you look at the way the Canes have played this series, and you look at how Tampa just absolutely dismantled the florida panthers like came into their house robbed them blind like beat up their children and their dog and then knocked their lamps over on the way out like that sort of like disrespectful like ass whooping that series and you look at how the canes have played why would you expect the hurricanes to be a good team against Tampa. Yeah. Unless drastic changes are made. That that series is a ways away. I don't even want to think about that yet because it would Oh no, be- I'm just saying like if the Canes do manage to get their act together and beat the Rangers, it's going to take a lot more than it's going to take an entirely different level than what we've seen from the Hurricanes this postseason. They're going to lose in one game if they have to play the lightning the way they're playing right now. Yes. Lightning in one. If this is the hurricanes that show up. 
<laughs> in one. It was kind of like that for the Panthers too. <laughs> yeah, it, it really was though. Well, in no, that series, I, I feel say, pretty much as soon as they took game one in for Florida, it was like, well, that <laughs> series is over. <laughs> you know what? No, I, I think the when you knew that series was over was when Ross Colton hit the buzzer beater in game two. Yeah, that's true. Uh, well, of course, after they go up two nothing, it's they go up two nothing heading to Tampa with yeah. a hot Andre Vasilevsky. <laughs> yeah. It was over for the Panthers. GGs, I, my guys. Yeah, like thanks, thanks for coming, uh, Florida Panthers. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's what I got. I'm uh, I'm tired. Catch me on uh, 99.9 The Fan for as long as the Hurricanes can make this series last. I'll be on tomorrow. Probably during the OG around 3.15 to 3.30. 6.30-ish for the Storm Watch with Dennis Cox. And whenever the game ends, after they do their post-game interviews on the aftermath. So catch me out there. I've been having a ton of fun doing that. And I appreciate all the kind words I've gotten from a lot of you. Um and yeah, and go Canes. Sure. Hopefully they go get their Canes. together. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> be sure to also check out uh, the Smart Scouting final draft rankings that we published the other day. I'm gonna, I, I never plug anything on here anymore, so I'm going to plug that. We worked really hard this year to do that. Um, I think our list is pretty good, and I think that everybody's going to really enjoy it and have no arguments about it whatsoever. <laughs> uh, that's a lie. That's already started to happen. Going to be but, real, bro. Yeah, right. But thanks again to Darren York for coming on the podcast this week, folks. We want to thank you again for taking the time to listen to us every week. We know it's been a bit of a pain this week with uh, the Canes just kind of being a Jekyll and Hyde team, but I know it's doom and gloom and the ESPN broadcast might be a Rangers broadcast, but folks, it is a great time to be a Carolina Hurricanes fan.